It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There is a very narrow framework that we're allowed to use to engage in conversations about the question of Israel and Palestine. But do I stand by what I said? Absolutely. (laughs) I think I was right. Welcome to Deconstructed, I'm Mehdi Hassan. Today, the debate over Israel and its occupation. Why is it so difficult in the United States to criticize Israel? And are defenders of the world's only Jewish state correct to suggest that much of the opposition to Israel stems from anti-Semitism? The the idea that BDS isn't anti-Semitic is, is to me, almost self-evident. Having a boycott, divestment, sanction movement against a particular nation-state is not anti-Semitic. It's a critique and it's a response to Israeli policy. That was Mark Lamont Hill, who was fired by CNN for supposedly crossing a line in terms of his criticism of Israel. Just the latest public figure to run afoul of the unwritten codes that govern discourse on this contentious subject here in the United States. But whatever happened to free speech and the right to offend? I'm delighted to say that Mark's my guest on the show today, as is Lara Friedman, president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace, and a friend of Israel, though a critical friend. Let's examine what they're saying. It's anti-Semitic to say that some people are not having democracy and that they should. That's actually holding Israel to a lower standard. So this week on Deconstructed, what can't we say about Israel? In a world in which it often seems like we can never run out of hot takes and Insta comments, Michelle Alexander's op-ed in the New York Times this past weekend surely merits the title of must-read, standout comment piece of 2019 so far. If you don't know who Michelle Alexander is, number one, shame on you, and number two, she's an academic, activist, lawyer, and, of course, author of the acclaimed and searing 2010 book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. She was hired by the New York Times to be an opinion columnist last summer, the first woman of color to make it onto the op-ed pages of the Times, and it's pretty shameful it took the Times so long to make that hire. On Sunday, on the eve of Martin Luther King Day, she published an op-ed in that paper headlined Time to Break the Silence on Palestine, in which after referring to Dr. Martin Luther King's famous opposition to the Vietnam War, which cost him a great many liberal friends and allies, Alexander wrote, and I quote, I am left with little doubt that Dr. King's teachings and message require us to speak out passionately against the human rights crisis in Israel-Palestine, despite the risks and despite the complexity of the issues. She continued, quote, if we are to honour King's message and not merely the man, we must condemn Israel's actions. And she went on to add, quote, it seems the days when critiques of Zionism and the actions of the state of Israel can be written off as anti-Semitism are coming to an end. There seems to be an increased understanding that criticism of the policies and practices of the Israeli government is not in itself anti-Semitic, end quote. And she's right. The tide is turning on Israel and its illegal occupation of the Palestinian territories, its control over four million Palestinian people, its colonial-style settlement program, its siege of Gaza. Democrats and younger US voters, including young Jewish voters, are shifting to a more pro-Palestinian position. According to all the recent polls, 
You now have two members of Congress, Rashida Tlaib, my guest on last week's show, and Ilhan Omar, who are openly supporting BDS, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement Against Israel. That wouldn't have been possible a few years ago. The Times itself would never have published an op-ed like Alexander's a few years ago. It would have been unthinkable. I often joke that you get more debate about Israel's crimes and misdeeds in Israel's own parliament, the Knesset, than you do in the United States Congress. You get more open and honest discussions about the occupation and settlement and apartheid on the op-ed pages of Haaretz, Israel's main liberal newspaper, than you do on the op-ed pages of the New York Times. But the defenders of Israel, they're not just going to give up without a fight. They're not just going to roll over. The pro-Israeli ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, called Alexander's piece dangerously flawed. The American Jewish Committee, the AJC, accused Alexander, a black woman, by the way, of shameful appropriation. Ha! and using MLK to take, quote, pot shots at Israel. Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the US, now deputy minister in the Israeli prime minister's office, tweeted, by equating support for Israel with support for the Vietnam War and opposition to MLK, Alexander dangerously delegitimizes us. It's a strategic threat, and Israel must treat it as such. A strategic threat? It's a freaking newspaper op-ed. I hope Michelle Alexander has no plans to visit any Israeli consulates anytime soon. Thank you very much, Michael Oren. But here's the thing. Alexander might be right to be optimistic about the direction of travel on this long contentious issue. But that does not mean critics and opponents of Israel aren't still getting targeted and censored and punished for their views for calling out Israeli apartheid, for example. As Alexander herself mentioned in the piece, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Alabama under pressure from local pro-Israeli Jewish groups, just recently rescinded a human rights award that they had bestowed on civil rights icon Angela Davis because of her support for BDS. Prior to the Davis affair, there was Mark Lamont Hill, who'll be joining me on this show in a moment. Mark, a brilliant, eloquent academic and journalist, was fired by CNN, where he'd been a paid contributor and on-air pundit, because he gave a speech at the UN calling for a boycott of Israel and said, We have an opportunity to not just offer solidarity in words, but to commit to political action that will give us what justice requires. And that is a free Palestine from the river to the sea. Thank you for your time. He was gone within 24 hours. When you boil it down, he was fired for using the following six words, from the river to the sea. That was deemed anti-Semitic. By the way, Former Republican Senator Rick Santorum, who's on tape basically erasing the existence of the occupied Palestinian people. All the people that live in the West Bank are Israelis. They're not Palestinians. There is no Palestinian. He's still employed by CNN as a paid contributor, unlike Mark Lamont Hill. As a British journalist living in the US, I've always found it weird how obsessed American politicians and journalists are with defending and promoting Israel, a foreign country, last time I checked. For example, the very first bill to be put forward this year in 2019 by the Republican-controlled Senate was not a bill to improve border security or bring in tax reform or reopen a shutdown government, but a bill to protect the Israeli government by giving state and local governments in the US the authority to boycott any US companies that dare to join in a boycott of Israel. A whopping 26 states have already passed some form of anti-BDS laws, penalizing US citizens for exercising their right to free speech. People like Bahia Amawi, a children's speech pathologist in Texas, recently profiled by my Intercept colleague Glenn Greenwald, who was told that she couldn't work with her local school district unless she signed an oath vowing 
not to boycott Israel. It infringed on all my principles. And on top of that, my right to speech and also right to protest. It's baffling that they can throw this down our throats, you know, and decide to protect another country's economy versus protect our constitutional rights. Whatever happened to the First Amendment, does that not count when we're talking about Israel? And how do we get past the constant retort of that's anti-Semitic from defenders of Israel? Well, that's our discussion today. I'm joined from St. Louis by my friend and former colleague from our HuffPost days, Dr. Mark Lamont-Hill. And here in the studio is also Lara Friedman, president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace and a former U.S. Foreign Service officer who is a liberal supporter of Israel, I think it's fair to say, but who has also been very active in opposing Republican efforts to basically criminalize BDS here in the United States. Mark, Lara, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Great to be here. Pleasure to be here. Mark, you were fired uh, by CNN for a speech you gave about Israel-Palestine at the UN, a speech in which you called on countries to boycott Israel, in which you called for a, quote, free Palestine from the river to the sea, which many say is a Hamas slogan. It's about getting rid of Israel. Looking back now, several weeks later, do you think you crossed a line in terms of your rhetoric on Israel? Would you stand by your comments? Well, I think both are true. I, I, I cross the line in the sense that there is a very narrow framework that we're allowed to use to engage in conversations about the question of Israel and Palestine. And so certainly within the boundaries of civil liberal uh, Western discourse, I, I certainly crossed a line. There were people who felt people there are people who think one state solutions are crossing the line and talking about uh, free Palestine is crossing the line or talking about human rights violations is, is crossing the line. So to that extent, absolutely. Uh, but do I stand by what I said? Absolutely. <laughs> I think I was right. I, I think I was right to use that day and use that speech to challenge um, the, uh, the question of human rights and raise the question of human rights and to help us reimagine a world uh, of freedom and safety, peace and self-determination for Palestinian people and for, 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 for citizens of Israel as well. You know, I don't think they have to come at the expense of one another. Uh, were you surprised, uh, shocked even, to be sacked as a contributor to CNN or did you see that coming? They were pretty quick about it. I definitely did not see it coming uh, because I wrote a speech that I thought was critical, but certainly honest and fair and empirically supported uh, because I had no intention of saying anything violent or anti-Semitic or otherwise outside what I think are reasonable boundaries of, 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 of public discourse. I had no expectation. I thought people would disagree with me. Uh, there are many disagreements on this issue, uh, but I didn't expect to be fired because I don't think that I did anything that was wrong. What did they say was the reason for firing you? I wasn't really given uh, a, a reason other than that the speech uh, didn't... Um, cohere with their values. They just said that your speech didn't match our value, didn't reflect our values. Um, and that's... Yeah, when they... So their <laughs> values, what's interesting about their values is you got fired for calling for democracy and human rights, quote, between the river and the sea, from the river to the sea, uh, whereas former Republican Senator Rick Santorum is still employed as a paid contributor, even though he says Palestinians don't exist. It's, 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 a, it's a striking contrast, you know, uh, the idea that within cable news or any form of public discourse that we can't have disagreements or we don't have a space for an array of opinions to me is troubling. But if we are going to close ranks around certain opinions and not others, I'd like to think that the call for democracy in the region, the call for safety and peace and self-determination, again, for everybody, uh, is, 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 is a reasonable one. And I would think that uh, Rick Santorum's call for 
uh, or, or his analysis that Palestinians don't exist or many of the other gross things that Rick Santorum has said in public and other people would be outside the boundaries. But in this bizarre world that we live in today, it's the opposite. Yeah, exactly the opposite. And just to be clear for our listeners, there are more than 4 million Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza who cannot vote uh, for the people who basically control their lives, which is the Israeli government. Um, Lara, what did you make of Mark's firing? What did you make of the award that was offered and then rescinded to Angela Davis? Does any of this surprise you? Um, I, I wish it surprised me. I've, I've been working this issue for too long, really, to be surprised. I'm old enough to remember Helen Thomas being essentially sacrificed over this issue. The her, late White House correspondent. Yes, her entire legacy as a White House correspondent um, effectively delegitimized over comments she made about Israel-Palestine. Doesn't surprise me at all. I do think we're seeing an escalation in this. I, I, I think we're at a moment when um, either out of fears that at some point Israel is not going to be able to forever maintain the occupation, deny rights, um, you know, the, maintain the, the status quo and the high ground. So maybe there's a fear of losing um, ground or there's a feeling of this is a moment of opportunity that has to be seized to finally roll back everything that's happened since Oslo and since Madrid and return us to a, a status quo ante where any utterance of support for the Palestinians was equated with anti-Semitism, with support for terror. So, so on that note about any utterance, a lot of supporters of Israel, if they're listening to this discussion, will say that's just not true. Israel's attacked all the time. It's held to unfair double standards. As someone who's worked in this field for a while, as someone who I think it's fair to say would call herself a friend of Israel, a critical friend of Israel, where do you think the line now stands in what you can and can't say about Israel and the occupation of the Palestinian territories. Where is it right now? Look, I, I think that line is moving. And the fact is, we live in a democracy. You can say what you want. The question is, what sort of price are people going to try to exact for your yeah. utterance? On the question of you know dual standards, I just want to say this really quick. For years, I mean, I come from a community with this great sensitivity and the dual standard. Israel is held to a higher standard. Today, when it comes to questions of democracy, of human rights, of free speech, the demand from supporters of Israel from the right is not that Israel not be held to a higher standards. The demand is that Israel be held to a lower standard. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, Saudi Arabia? Exactly. What about North Korea? There's the yeah. whataboutism, which says, well, but other people are worse. You know, why aren't you boycotting everything? If you don't boycott everything, then boycotting settlements is a, se a sign that you're an anti-Semite. And, you know, the question of democracy between the river and the sea you would think that setting aside any weighted language there, because that 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 language itself is is heavily yep. laden um, with historical meaning for a lot of people. But even just the question of is it okay to call for democracy, when people say that's an anti-Semitic call, let's let's examine what they're saying. It's anti-Semitic to say that some people are not having democracy and that they should. That's actually holding Israel to a lower standard. Okay, so in terms of where we now stand on this discussion, Mark, do you think the Michelle Alexander op-ed in the New York Times, the paper of record, that liberal media bastion which has supported Israel for so long, do you think that's a sign that the times are changing here in the United States? Well, it'll depend on whether or not Michelle's still working there. If next week she's writing for, <laughs> for, for writings are only found at like michelleAlexander.com, then the answer would be no. <laughs> um, but but I, I think that 
uh, the tide actually is turning. And I think that the fact that the New York Times printed that piece and that Michelle Alexander will continue to write provocative pieces on this issue, but many other issues that she so brilliantly has done, uh, is a sign that I think the tide is turning, that people are at least open to a conversation. Now, that said, uh, the response to Michelle Alexander, the critics, um, I mean, people saying that she appropriated Martin Luther King's legacy. Yes, the American Jewish Committee made that comment, I think. That kind of language to me suggests that people, one, don't have a clear understanding of who Dr. King was, his, his comments on Israel notwithstanding, which I think is a complicated question as well. But but it also means that, again, there are many people who are simply unwilling to call uh, uh, for democratic practice and democratic principles within the state of Israel. Now, I think it is important to say that Israel should not be held to a higher standard, should be held to no different standard than anyone else. But I think given the fact uh, that our military fund, our, our, our financial support of Israel is so considerable, given the fact that Israel uh, hails itself as uh, the only democracy in the Middle East, uh, because of this language, because of our economic, uh, psychological, and cultural investment in the state of Israel, I think we do have a responsibility yeah. to hold Israel accountable. I think we should also have a, 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 a responsibility to hold Saudi Arabia accountable. And, and it's interesting yeah. because in the last six months, I've been holding Saudi Arabia accountable. I've seen you write about uh, uh, the Jamal yeah. uh, Khashoggi thing so much and talk about it so much. And it's like people forget that part and act as if we're just obsessed with Israel as opposed to saying, hey, we need democracy in the Middle East and we need justice in the Middle East, more importantly. Well, isn't it the the case that a lot of these other oppressive countries are... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot of you, you know, that you and I have spoken out against. They only get mentioned by supporters of Israel as a way of whataboutism, as, as Lara mentioned. It's funny, they don't actually give a shit about what's happening right. <laughs> in Saudi Arabia or North Korea or Syria. It's just a rhetorical tool uh, used to deflect attention from their favoured cause. And what's funny about the whole standard thing, something that's always bothered me is, it's almost as if only critics of Israel talk about Israel. And I'm always like, well, if you don't want me to talk about Israel, why don't you stop talking about Israel? I noticed that presidential candidates feel the need to go out of their way to say how amazing Israel is. Just uh, just before I was recording the show, I saw a clip circulating on Twitter of um, Kamala Harris at yes. APAC in 2017 going on about how she stands with Israel. So it works both ways. If, if you stop saying you're standing with an occupier, maybe I'll stop criticizing the occupier. Isn't the problem here that lots of supporters of Israel over the decades have successfully, in the eyes of many people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, conflated Israel with all Jews? Mm. And that leads to a lot of the problems when we talk about the rhetoric surrounding Israel, the criticism of Israel, the world's only Jewish state, that's where the that's is that is that fair to say that's where it all gets muddied. I think that's part of where it all gets muddied. I think it also gets muddied since with the fact that since 1967, a safe political space has been carved out in the 
community, at the grassroots level, at the political level, for people to be progressive on everything except Palestine. <laughs> and the Trump era is is closing the space for that sort of hypocrisy or that sort of, let's call it, cognitive dissonance. It's simply no longer available. And I don't think um, progressive leaders overall have caught up to this. But the grassroots gets, gets it. And I, but I, can I just jump in really quick? Because I think Sorry, I, go. No, I, yeah, go, there's another interesting piece here because I think I think Laura's absolutely right with that. And I think for black activists, that 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 understanding and that relationship and even that idea of being a pep, or, you know, progressive on every issue. But Palestine, I think, is even more more complicated because of the particular relationship between black American civil rights activism and Jewish American civil rights activism and, and solidarity practice. There has been such a strong and in, some t- in, in many ways healthy relationship between black Americans and Jewish Americans on that question. When you look at the foundation of or the founding rather of the NAACP, when you look at uh, Martin King's support, when you look at, you know, so many so many moments in, in American history where Jewish Americans have been allies to black Americans, there's a sense that we're in lockstep with one another. And so so often we have looked at the question of Israel through the lens of U.S. black-Jewish relations. And in some ways, again, that contradiction emerges. But there's also a heightened sense of how dare you, right? You know, Jewish brothers and sisters have been here for black people in America. So why are you criticizing the the, the one Jewish state? And so it's seen as a a contradiction when, in fact, it's, I I would argue, uh, incredibly consistent. I think Michelle Alexander is arguing this in her New York Times piece as well, that the, the, the consistency here is not with who we ally with. It's what values we ally with. And so in the United States, we should be fighting anti-Semitism. We should be fighting anti-Semitism around the world, but we should also be fighting illiberal practice, to use Lars' language, in, in, in Israel. And so I think those, those tensions and nuances play out in, in very particular ways yeah. for black Americans. And, and one of the problems is, Mark, is that anti-Semitism is on the rise in the US, undeniably Absolutely. so, especially since the rise of Trump. And the irony is a lot of that anti-Semitism is coming from the far right. The attack on the synagogue, which left 11 Jewish worshippers dead, brutally murdered in cold blood, uh, was from a far right nutcase, right? And yet the response to that included uh, people saying, well, this is why we need um, anti-BDS legislation. This is why we need to stop boycotts of Israel. And you had Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey coming out and uh, having been opposed to that legislation, then switching, saying, well, this attack reminds us of of the dangers of anti-Semitism. And a lot of people on the left, a lot of people in the pro-Palestinian movement get very frustrated that these things are all locked together. Um, One of the many criticisms of you, Mark, and Angela Davis and others, is your support for BDS, for boycott, divestment and sanctions against Israel. Explain to our listeners why you support BDS and why it's not anti-Semitic. Well, yeah. I mean, one, I think the the idea that BDS isn't uh, anti-Semitic is, is to me, almost self-evident. Um, having a boycott, divestment, and sanction movement against a particular nation state is is, is not anti-Semitic. It, it's a critique and it's a response to Israeli policy and Israeli state practice. It's, it's not an attack on Jewish people. It's not an attack on. It's not even an attack on individuals. It's not even a response to individuals. BDS is not. A, it does not ad- attack individuals. It does not address or target individuals. It targets institutions. I think that's an important distinction to make. I think we have to constantly make distinctions between. Uh, Judaism and Israeli statecraft. I think that's an important and necessary distinction to always make here. One, because Israel doesn't speak for all Jewish people. Uh, two, because Israel is a nation state, not a religion. And, 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 and three, because I think this, the, the grand tradition of Judaism is one that promotes justice and love and healing and support for everyone. And so I, I don't want to, I, I wouldn't want to attach 
uh, some of the practices of the state of Israel to any religion. But on that note, Mark, you would agree that criticism of Israel can sometimes cross over into anti-Semitism, into anti-Semitic tropes about Jewish power, Jewish conspiracies. There are a lot of anti-Semites who hide behind the Palestinian cause in order to be anti-Jewish. I think we can all concede that, right? It would be dishonest not to. I mean, again, some of of the the, the response, even people who were offering support to me at times, some of the support, I was like, I was like, whoa, 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 no, that's not support. You know, that actually is anti-Semitic. What I said wasn't, but what you're doing right now absolutely is this idea of Jewish cabals, this idea of Jewish power, this idea of Jewish conspiracy, this idea of blood libel. All of these things are very real tropes that are deployed against Jewish people. And sometimes people absolutely hide behind the question of Palestine or the question of Israel as a means by which to simply uh, prosecute a war against Jewish people, uh, an anti-Semitic war, quite clearly. I absolutely agree with that. BDS, however, is not one of those things. Now, could there be anti-Semites in the BDS movement? Perhaps. There could be anti-Semites in the the environmental justice movement. I mean, again, we need to weed them out everywhere. But the movement itself is not. First of all, it's a principal call out of Palestinian civil society. That's an important thing to say because people say, well, why are you supporting uh, BDS in in, in Israel and why why aren't you you supporting it somewhere else? These other places haven't called for BDS. This is a, a, a call from Palestinian civil society. Yeah. Pe- also, good point. It's 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 a nonviolent call. People say, oh, you know, they, they're they're constantly talking about terrorism and the threat of violence. This is a nonviolent <laughs> call. Yeah, they can't. The Palestinians can't win if they're violent. They're terrorists. If they're nonviolent, they're anti-Semites. Right. Um, Laura, let me ask you this. Let me, Laura, let me put this to you. Uh, since I've been in the U.S., one of the things I follow, the BDS debate, and even before, I remember Hillary Clinton writing a letter to Haim Saban, the, the big donor to the Democratic Party, the Power Ranger billionaire, um, who's really in the wrong party, to be honest, but saying, I'm going to fight against BDS. She wrote a whole letter saying that's going to be one of my big causes to stop BDS. Here in the U.S., even amongst some liberals, it does seem to be taken almost, you know, ipso facto BDS is anti-Semitic, which I find odd. You could say there's some anti-Semites in the BDS movement, anti-Semites misuse the BDS, but to just smear all of these people, including many Jewish voices, my intercept colleague Naomi Klein is a very prominent Jewish supporter of BDS. I see all that. And then I think, wow, these guys have done a really good job in terms of smearing the pro-Palestinian movement. Yes. I mean, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I, I I think if you go back, the roots of this are, and let's distinguish a little bit in terms, there are lots of people who support either support or advocate boycotts against Israel, boycotts against settlements. Do you? I, I advocate boycotting settlements, and I defend boycotting Israel if people think they want to do it. I think so, focusing on settlements is, is as and or more effective, but that's my personal opinion. I will go to the mat for the right of people to engage in free speech, but boycotts are, are constitutionally protected free speech, full stop. But there are lots of people who advocate or support who don't say, I am a member of the BDS movement. This is a tactic. And it's a tactic, again, going to the question of holding Israel to different standards. Political boycotts are a proven, legitimate, nonviolent tactic that is accepted, embraced, endorsed, praised all over the world for use on anything. In Israel, it is legal to boycott literally anything for almost any reason. You can be an You can boycott things because you're a racist against Arabs. You can boycott things because you're religious and hate non-religious. Only thing you can't do is boycott settlements. That's illegal in Israel. The idea that somehow Israel should be insulated from pressure via boycotts, and we're talking not the Arab League boycott of Israel, which was coercive. That is not a voluntary act of free speech. This is people saying, I want to vote my conscience by not buying X or not engaging in business with Y. 
Israel is apparently the only country in the world that needs to be protected from this. And that is holding Israel to a different standard. And it makes no sense. The whole double standards argument exactly. uh, comes back. Uh, let me ask you this. You've been writing and campaigning on this issue. How worried should we be about the legislation at a Senate level? And of course, at the state level, I think 26 states, I believe, have already co- passed some form of legislation uh, criminalizing BDS. How worried should we be that the Senate legislation, for example, that Marco Rubio and others have put forward, and it was the first bill put forward uh, in the new Senate in 2019, how worried should we be that that's going to pass once the shutdown is over and some Democrats get back on board with the Republicans? Okay, I, I think we should be worried to the extent that there is. this is going to be a question of how much public pressure is brought to bear on members of Congress about free speech. And by the way, that's members of Congress from both parties. Conservatives claim to care deeply about free speech. Um, libertarians claim to care about. This isn't a partisan issue. Um, I am less worried about this legislation or the, the other piece of legislation in Congress, which is the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, which is in some ways worse. Um, I'm less worried about them today than I was a month ago because finally people are paying attention. These things have been pending for a long time and at a grassroots level, there's been work. We are finally in a moment um, and I don't think it's a coincidence. We're at a moment when the grassroots is rising up and saying, hell no, hell no to state laws that say an individual speech therapist has to sign an oath to give up free speech to practice her craft. Um, that's a good thing. <laughs> Do you think this will be an issue in the Democratic primaries? Will people like Senator Harris and, and Senator Warren and others be asked again and again to be no. clear that they're not going to vote for legislation? Mark, you're saying no, it will be an issue? Or yes, <laughs> It will not be an issue. Uh, it, it will be you re- don't think it'll be an issue? Oh, I, I, that's I, deeply I, pessimistic. I was trying to be optimistic. I, I think it will be. I, um, Laura thinks it will be. Go on, Mark, tell us why you think it will be. I, I, I think it's like, I think saying that you support Israel unequivocally is like kissing a baby in politics. I think everyone will say it. They'll have their, their quick purity test and then we'll move on. I don't think there's going to be space for nuance. In the media, yes, but don't you think the Democratic base is shifting a bit on this? Not enough to make uh, a demand in the primary. I, I, I don't, I don't imagine. Now, the, the one, the one shift, the one thing that could complicate that is Bernie Sanders, because he, he obviously le- in, in the last election cycle uh, was a little more nuanced on this issue. He talked about disproportionate. And he's moved a lot since 2016 as well. In an interview with me for the Intercept, he actually talked about making aid conditional. Uh, on 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 progress in peace but, and but, settlements, which no one's ever said in U.S. politics. I, I would disagree, and not because I think Matthew, what you're talking about, the Democratic base pushing. Although I think that's part of it. I think more than that, you're going to see the people who want to see Democrats tearing each other apart. Folks from the right who mm. are going to insist on raising this. We saw this issue weaponized to effectively destroy the Women's March, and it's not because anyone really saw this as the number one issue. This was manufactured as an issue to take what was one of the most significant grassroots movements in my lifetime and shred it. And it was Democrat, it was progressives doing it to themselves at the behest of outside parties. But interestingly, on the Women's March, Linda Sarsour turns up at the most recent Women's March uh, and says, talks about BDS in her speech, which, yeah. so in that sense, they're not backing down. Right. Linda's not backing down. So there could be a pincer movement Absolutely. on some of these centrist candidates where the right is demanding loyalty Absolutely. tests and the left is saying, we're demanding you speak for justice and equality for the Palestinians. I, I, th- I think you're going to get either one of both of those. And if either one of those is present, this becomes an issue, not because it's important, not 
because people actually care about it, not because voters are voting on it, but because this is politically And not um, because our politicians have a spine. Let me ask you this, Mark, before we run out of time on the subject of spines. And you've shown a lot of spine in recent weeks, and we admire you for that. One line that jumped out to me from the Michelle Alexander op-ed in The Times on Palestine was where she wrote, quote, Many civil rights activists and organizations have remained silent as well, not because they lack concern or sympathy for the Palestinian people, but because they fear loss of funding from foundations and false charges of anti-Semitism. They worry, as I once did, that their important social justice work will be compromised or discredited by smear campaigns. End quote. Mark, that is the case, isn't it? That there's been a lot of self-censorship on this issue from progressives who might privately care about the Palestinians, but don't want to go to bat for them because they know they'll get destroyed and a whole host of other issues. And look at you. I mean, they look at they look at Mark Lamont Hill. They look at what happened. Else, they see. That's why I keep my head down. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. If I had a dollar for every progressive member of Congress, for every progressive faculty member, for every progressive uh, 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 cable news or otherwise TV commentator who sent me a private message saying, "I, I agree with you." <laughs> <laughs> you can almost hear the whispers in the message. I agree with you, but, uh, you know, stay strong. But this is why I don't say anything. I wouldn't need a TV job. I'd have so much money. I mean, it, 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 it's actually stunning uh, to see uh, how people have responded. And again, I, I think we have to be mindful of saying that this isn't because there's some Jewish conspiracy. It's because there's a very powerful political movement that supports a particular point of view. And because, the, and because people are worried about not just their own careers, but as Michelle said, the work of justice. You know, they don't want to lose funding. You know, think about uh, the Angela Davis invitation. Uh, they they caved on the Angela Davis invitation because people were saying they're going to not donate money anymore and they need the money to do good work in the world. And so some of it is cowardice, some of it is pragmatism, you know, and some of it is pragmatism, you know, cowardice described, <laughs> disguises pragmatism. But but all, all of it suggests that we're in a moment right now where it's very difficult um, to, to argue one's principles on this issue, but we're going to continue to fight and grow. And I think as we do that, people will realize that it is the principal move, that ultimately history will, will vindicate this position, and that, it, and that, again, we will never have a world of safety and peace and justice, not just for Palestinians, but also for Israel, Israelis and also for Jewish people around the world, until we figure out some solutions that work for everybody, and we can't do that if people aren't speaking uh, in democratic practice. Mark, we'll have to leave it there. Mark Lamont Hill, Lara Friedman, thank you both for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you. Thank you. Fascinating discussion there. So much to digest, self-censorship, progressive except Palestine, PEP, BDS, the boycott movement and the criminalization of BDS, free speech except on Israel. I do believe the tide is turning on Israel-Palestine in the US media and in US politics. I do believe that support for Israel will be questioned in these forthcoming Democratic presidential primaries. And I do believe that as more Michelle Alexanders come forward on Palestine, it'll be harder to treat them in the way CNN treated Mark Lamont Hill. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice. I 
iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.